Thank you, Mike, for the songs. The lesson this morning is being like Christ, reflecting Christ's image. And I want to start by looking at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. When we read this verse, this is an easy verse to be like, that's, that's really good, and then just keep reading through the rest of this chapter. There's a lot of really good things in this chapter, but if you stop and think about first, therefore, be imitators of God. If I were to tell you to be imitators of your father, your physical father, a lot of different things could come to mind. Some of us could have great fathers that we would love to imitate. Some of us may have fathers that we don't want to imitate. But whatever it is, you have an image in your mind of your father's behavior and the way that they are. But to say, therefore, be imitators of God, it's asking a little bit more of you than to be like your physical father. My physical father taught me good things, and my physical father's also made mistakes. He's a person. He's a human. But God doesn't make mistakes. God isn't human. So how can us as humans who make mistakes imitate something that's perfect? And then in verse 2 it says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So then it goes a step further and says, Now love the way Christ loves. That unconditional love for a people who hated him to let your people, your creation, destroy you. So that way you could save your creation. That's the love that we're being commanded to have here. So the more you stop and think about it, this kind of seems like we're being asked to do something that's impossible. It kind of seems like this is too high. You're asking too much of me, God. I can't be like you. I'm so far beneath you. And to a certain extent, that is true. We can't, you will never be as powerful as God. We'll never be able to achieve his wisdom and his knowledge. But, There are people in the Bible who they imitated God. They were able to reflect the image of Christ. And it serves as an example that we can too. First turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to go through a, a few of these examples today of people who imitated Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, in verse 5 beginning... It says, Philippians chapter 2, and verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count, it, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This verse is showing the example where Jesus emptied himself. He gave everything. He gave up all the glory in heaven. He gave up being right beside God at all times so that way he could come to earth and live as we do. We can't give up heaven because we're, we're on earth. We can't give up as much as he gave up. 
But in Mark chapter 12, we have an example of a woman who did give all that she had. Mark chapter 12, in verse 41, says... Mark chapter, Mark chapter 12 and verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. We've got two examples. We have Jesus and his image and how he gave everything. He emptied himself. He gave up his throne in heaven. He gave up all that he had to come down and suffer for others. But this widow... She gave a penny. She gave all that she had. Notice how even though the widow's giving such a small amount, God doesn't see it that way. God doesn't see this small gift that way because he saw she gave everything that she had. So when you look at Jesus' example and you see how much he gave up and it feels overwhelming that I could never give up what he gave up because I don't have that. Look at the widow. Look at how she imitated God's holiness and how she gave everything she had even though on this earth that was little. Another example of Christ is in Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 4 it says surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet was a, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted but he has pierced for he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus laid down himself and he suffered for others. He took the ultimate pain for others. He stood up for us, and he took on our sin, our guilt. We were the ones in the wrong, and he stood up for us. That's an example that we want to be like, but we can't take on the sins of the world. That's what Jesus did. We can't, we cannot do what he did to the, to the magnitude that he did. But if you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25, we can see an example of someone who was willing to take the blame for someone else. In 1 Samuel 25, beginning of verse 23, now at this point, um, as we were studying through Abigail a few weeks ago, Abigail, her husband Nabal, is wicked and evil, and he's got their whole family doomed. David is coming to the house, and he's ready to destroy them. And Abigail realizes what's happening. Instead of running away, instead of letting Nabal's guilt be on Nabal, she goes. And in verse 23, it says, When Abigail saw David, she hurried, got down from the donkey, and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. 
she fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. So although we have examples of Jesus and how he took on the sins of the whole world, how he was ready to take on all of our guilt, we have an example of Abigail, who she felt and she was ready to take on the guilt of her husband. One person, she was ready to take up and she was ready to protect her family. So sometimes as we are looking at Jesus and his example, realize that there is a magnitude that we can never be like Christ. And there is that realization. But with that comes with, there was people who reflected Christ, and so can we. Continuing on this train of thought, go to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. These are the words of Jesus as he's in the garden. He's suffering. He's getting ready to die on the cross. He's feeling this anguish and this pain that he's about to go through. He asks God, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus, in his darkest hour, right before he suffers the most painful death, he wants God's will to be done, not his own. He has this humility and this giving up of his own, his own wants and his own needs at this time because he wants God's will to be done. And a person who does something similar is Job. Turn to Job chapter 2 and verse 9, beginning. Job chapter 2 and verse 9. At this point, Job has lost everything. Job, his, all of his children were killed in this horrible accident. All of his possessions are ripped away from him. He's covered in boils. He's on the ground. He has literally nothing left, left to live for. But in verse 9, his wife says to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish men would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Similarly to where he says this, shall we not receive good from God and shall we not also receive evil? What he's saying here is, if God can bless us, then whatever God is going to do to us, God, God still seeks our best. He believed in God even when he had every physical reason to distrust. He knew that there was something greater. He knew that despite all the physical trials he's going through, the love of God surpassed that. And he wanted God's will to be done. Even if that meant that he is sitting here on the ground covered in boils, his family's gone, his wife is, is opposite of his opinion, and he's alone. And so we see another person who reflected that statement, not my will, but yours be done. Another example, turn to Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5, in verse 44, it says, or verse 43, rather, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he who makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good sends rain on the just and the unjust. Love your enemies. Jesus, in his hour of trials and all that he faced, he had many, many enemies. But he still says to love your enemies. Sometimes we feel like that's impossible. Sometimes we feel like it's impossible to love people who are maybe in a disagreement with us. We get let our own like selfishness and our own pride get in the way. And we will have problems with different people in our lives. But he's not saying just to love people who you disagree with or people who you don't really get along with. He's saying to love your enemy, the person who's seeking your life, the person who's trying to take your peace away. And a great example of someone who did this is David. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, this is right after Saul and Saul has been killed and David is mourning Saul and Jonathan. And David has this lament in 2 Samuel chapter 1. And in verse 23 specifically, he says... Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Every time I read this, I'm kind of thinking, hold up, David, do you remember who Saul was? Saul is the guy who tried to kill you and he took your wife away from you and then he tried to kill your best friend and then he chased you for, your in, for, for years trying to hunt you down. Then because he found out that priests helped you, he murdered those priests. All of this and David says how the mighty have fallen. Saul and Jonathan beloved and lovely. You cannot get more of a loving your enemies than that. This man hunted him down his, for, for years trying to take his throne away from him that God gave him. Saul was wicked and evil and we have that example. But then we have David who says, how can I hurt God's anointed? We have David who all through the Psalms is asking God to serve justice, not himself. So if David can love his enemy who hunted him down, I think we can love the people that we disagree with. I think we can love the people that we have a hard time getting along with. My last character example is going to be Stephen. But let's first look at Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23... Beginning in verse 32, it says, Two others who were criminals were laid, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, 
There they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is pleading on the behalf of the people who are in the act of killing him that they be forgiven because they, they don't really know what's going on. I don't know if any of us have ever been in an example that's even comparable to this. I know I haven't where I've ever been. I've never been tried to be physically harmed by anyone else, much less had my life threatened. But if you were in that situation, I can't imagine how hard it would be to ask for forgiveness on the behalf of the person who is trying to wrongfully kill you, who is constantly accusing you. Not only that, but Jesus is God. So Jesus knows what these, what these people have done to other people too. He knows what's going to happen to the apostles. So wouldn't it have been so hard to think these people are so wicked and for Jesus to not, to not call down some kind of justice on them? We even see Peter, who he has that same kind of attitude, where whenever Jesus is getting ready to be taken away, he's pulling out his sword, he cuts off the guy's ear, and he's ready to fight. I think that's how we feel a lot of times. We're like, oh, you, missed wrong, you wronged us. You're, you're in the wrong, and we can see that, and so we're ready to fight. But Jesus is not ready to do that. Jesus is ready to, to take this, and then he asks for forgiveness for the people who kill him. And when it seems like this is an example that, that is so impossible to reach, then we have Stephen. Turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Stephen has been preaching. And while he's preaching, the, they start to accuse him of blasphemy. And so the Pharisees pull him away. And he preaches to them. And he's telling them truth. And they hate him for it. So they drag him outside and they start to stone him. And in Acts chapter 7, in verse 54, it says, Now when they heard these things... They were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They then cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The last thing this man said before he was shoved to the ground and beat to death with rocks was don't hold the sin against the, man's, the men who were throwing the rocks at him. that's not an example of reflecting Christ, I don't know what is. This, this passage has always been so reflecting of what Jesus did and what he said on the cross. 
and how this way that Stephen is behaved as he is becoming this martyr for Christ. So all through our lives, we're going to be faced with decisions and we're going to be faced with trials where we can, we can reflect Christ like these people did. And choosing to either to think that we can't ever be like Christ and so we don't try to reflect him, that's another tactic that the devil's trying to use to stop us from reflecting Christ. No, we cannot be Jesus in the way that he was. But just like these people, all of these humans, they reflected Christ. Turn to John chapter 3. It's my last verse for today. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, sorry, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, who does God's love abide in? How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. At the beginning of this lesson, we're given the example in Ephesians of loving the way Christ loves. And now we're given the opportunity. We are surrounded by people who we can love and we can do good to. Whether that is in this building first with our brothers and sisters or outside this building, whether it's our coworkers, our friends who may not know God, whether it's our, our family or whatever else, we are given so many opportunities to be like Christ. So if all of these people can reflect the image of Christ, even though that seems impossible, we can too. We're given just as much of an opportunity as that widow is. She had nothing but a penny, but she was able to give. And then Abigail, she was married to one of the worst guys that you can, you can ever list. Everything about him is bad. So if she can be married to this guy, but she can still do what's right, what excuse do we have? And then Job, he has everything stripped away from him. All of his children, all of his wealth, all in the same day. Yet he still wants God's will to be done. And then you have David who's hunted down for years. His life is constantly in threat. Other people's lives are in threat just by being around David. Yet he still loved his enemy. And then last we have Stephen, who became a martyr, died similarly to the way Jesus did, and in his last breath asked forgiveness on those who hated him. Whenever we're faced with things today, 
we need to make sure that we're reflecting Christ. But in the same way, we're also given the example of Jesus where Jesus was baptized. Jesus goes to John and he tells him and he, that he wants to be baptized. And John's like, how can, I'm, you're supposed to be baptizing me. But Jesus was baptized. Now, baptism is for the remission of sins. So Jesus had no sins. So he didn't have any to be washed away. So if we were in Jesus' place, wouldn't it have been easy to think, well, that's silly. I don't need to be baptized. I don't have any sin. And that, that, that's true. Jesus had no sin. He had no, he had no need for the remission of any sins because he, he committed no sin. But Jesus set an example of being baptized. And that's an example for us today. So if you're not a Christian today, you can't reflect Christ because Christ is calling us and he commands us to follow his word. So if you're not a Christian and you want to reflect Christ, hear his word, repent of your sins, confess Jesus is Lord, be baptized, and then reflect Christ. Live your whole life living like he is. But as it is really easy to do in our lives to put ourselves first, if you're a Christian and you need help and you need prayers to start reflecting Christ again, we're here to help you right now while we stand and as we sing.